Hello and welcome along to the Family and Friends podcast. My name is Maxi. I'm one of the producers here at Family Creative and this is our new weekly podcast. Each week we plan to introduce you to some of the guys that we work with quite regularly and some people that we haven't even worked with at all yet. Our guest this week is director Louis Ellison. Louis has been collaborating with us for a few years now and it's, it's always really fun to, to work with him. We talk about making documentaries on international art forgerers, driving into rainforests in South America that are occupied by paramilitary forces. And as always, we finish on some advice for anyone looking to enter his creative field. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Family and Friends with Louis Ellison. Louis Ellison, thank you for joining us on Family and Friends, the first face-to-face show we've recorded in very long time I feel, um, I feel privileged thanks for thanks for having me Max <laughs> it's lovely to see you I've been trying to get you in here for a little while but you're, yeah. you're a very busy man how's, how's everything? Uh, everything is uh, okay it's good that um, you know work is starting to steadily like trickle in now which is which is great um, yeah I'm feeling feeling a, a bit better I've got a bit more uh, reason to get up in the morning than like this weird, uh, well, lockdown we've been in. Yeah, um, yeah it's been going pretty well. Yeah. You managed to like stay motivated through lockdown. Yeah, I've been staying motivated by by doing personal projects, um, just uh, writing. I've been writing some shorts and things like that. Oh, nice. Um, is that sort I, of one of your things you want to maybe do? Up, yeah, upcoming, yeah, like, yeah. Do some short films. This is this is this is where I'd I'd like to 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 go eventually is into more more TV, more drama um and particularly like doing a feature um and yeah that's something i've been working on over over lockdown i guess is um is a feature film um which uh came about through um make having made a documentary for vice which came out last year about a guy who's an art forger called max brandrit and he is actually a friend of my dad because my dad uh, is 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 an artist, um, and they met many years. ago. He's an actor, but also an artist, and they met many years ago, and lost touch. And then a couple of years ago, they they kind of reconnected. And my dad's also just you know re- reconnected with painting again. And uh, he was talking about Max, and I was like, oh, he sounds like an in- interesting character. I might might give him a give him a bell. So I called him up, and I was like, oh, would you be interested in? In uh, in and me and and me and Jose, who I work with, um, uh, making a film about you, and obviously he was enthused about the idea. Uh, so we just made the film, like just financed it ourselves. It was it was going to be like fifteen minutes maybe, uh, and then because we've got <coughs> some like connects at Vice, we just showed it to to the guys there. Uh, thinking that it might might be a good fit for them, and they loved it, and they were like, "Oh, we we will definitely take it. We want to cut it down to seven minutes, um, and we uh, we want to make a series uh, about forging because off the back of this idea." So we were like, "Oh, great! We'll 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 direct the other episodes." They're like, "No, no, no! We'll keep those ones in house," which is obviously you know their their vibe, isn't it? Um, so so yeah, so this this film ended up going out through Vice, and I think it had like. Within a couple of weeks, like ten million views on on Facebook and stuff. Like, right. I mean, Facebook's you know it's it's a different sort of thing. But so, what's the day to day of an art forger? What do they do? Um, well, he's a sort of retired art forger now. So he he. Um, I mean, it sounds pretty like criminal, or is it like? Yeah, it's yeah. Not... He's been in he's been in prison three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a he's a real like he's a real Jack the Lad kind of. He's a sort of. Um, Kind of like very sort of like a Victorian like villain or something, Victorian criminal, like a sort of a gentleman villain. Uh, he's he's quite a, he's quite a, like a striking looking guy, and he kind of the way he dresses, it's, it's he's very cool. He's in his seven. He probably doesn't want me to tell you this, but he's been he's in his seventies. And uh, he just replicates famous he, pieces of art. Yeah, or? he used to. He used to. He, he teamed up with a few, with a few. Uh, what one one famous art forger in particular, um, and I don't know if he wants me to name name. Well, he actually we 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 said his name in in the documentary. So it was Tom Keating, mm-hmm. who is a famous art forger, uh, and he uh, kind of gave him his 
kind of first opportunity really to 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 get into the art forging world, and uh, and then he yeah, then he was sort of teaming up with like antique dealers and things like that, and they were going to they were going to um, auctions with with forgeries and passing them off as reels and things like that and you know making some quite big money for like quite a number of years and then and then the the um the there was one particular policeman that, that was that was pursuing him that caught up with him eventually and then he did a he did a couple of years in prison he was actually doing fakes in prison as well <laughs> and 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 like exchanging them for tobacco and things like that with with um with the other inmates and yeah, he's just one of those people. He's just his life story is incredible. So we and and the feedback that we had through the the, the release of the documentary sort of made us think that, that that this would make for a good feature film. I mean, a lot of people were saying this guy needs a film made about him. So um, so yes, yeah, so we teamed up with uh, another friend of my dad's who's a scriptwriter. Um, he's best known for like TV drama from years ago, like The Bill and things like that. Uh, and he has um, so far we've put like a short like a like a synopsis together um, and we're kind of uh, we've been approaching like um, sort of feature film companies and producers and things like that but it, it needs a bit of it needs a bit of refining um, but it, yeah I mean that's just one of quite a few ideas that I've got that I want to sort of turn into happen, yeah, yeah yeah something so yeah so it's it's um it's 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 a hard it's a hard obviously you, you know you work in film it's a hard world to break into feature films it's a really tough one and there have been a, bit, a few like knockbacks so far which which you know have made me and Jose question whether is it, this is it's quite an insider thing or yeah it's an insider thing it's 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 um it's uh more, way more complicated than I, than I than I thought it would be. I thought it'd be you know a case of you've got a really strong idea, so that should carry it through, you know. But it's not just it's not just that you need you need really unfortunately you need you need to have talent attached like that that a name talent a lot of the time. You need to have obviously you need the investors, um, and you need a strong enough. A strong enough idea um, to get people invested. That's like that works for the current, you know, current climate, current situation with 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 films. And I, I'm not sure whether the the feedback we've had at the moment. I'm not sure whether that idea particularly sits well with what's being released at the moment. So I mean, mm. it, it, I th- I believe in it, and I think that there's there's definitely there's definitely something there. We just we just need to give it. a a, a bit more refining um and then uh yeah but it's just you know and also i'm trying to make a living and and doing my own other projects and things like that so it's just fitting it in around other stuff because it's going to be one of those things where once you've done the first one and managed to sort of actually you know produce and direct the film after that like it'll, it'll be a lot easier it's just popping that first kind of yeah cherry and because yeah it's a tough one it's like I mean I'm, I'm starting to like direct a couple of little bits now and it's it's it is it like even even on small, a tiny scale just writing that first treatment mm. getting that first concept together getting it you know finalised and then actually creating it even on a smaller scale it is it's quite daunting because it's new ground yeah it is daunting um, yeah. but you'll probably look back in you know five ten years time and be like oh man I remember how stressed I used to get trying to make those films and <laughs> now you're doing like XYZ that's cool I didn't know you were doing a bit of directing as well yeah Max. well yeah. like just a couple of little yeah. sort of commercial like bits yeah. for online mate like my, my history is in uh, in uh, documentaries as well actually yeah yeah I, okay. I used to do those on like Sky One and stuff right back in the day um, yeah. so it's definitely one of my sort of favourite uh, formats for sure it was episodical though not like yours would look like, like sort of um, like a one time sort of like film style documentary these, these were all like you know an hour episodes and we do like six or eight episodes and stuff yeah, like that yeah. so yeah. television is a very different world from, from yeah. like feature film and all that kind of stuff um, it is isn't it yeah television yeah. is completely different yeah Obviously, on family and friends, we kind of talk about origins. Yeah. The, the Louis origin story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, mate, where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? 
like what's uh, what's Louis Junior like? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Brighton. Um, I'm very grateful to my parents for having moved from London to Brighton just before I was born, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it was just an p- amazing place to grow up. It was so like it was so um, uh, kind of creatively uh, rich city, um, and I was just kind of exposed to a lot of good stuff based like music you know um fashion like mainly the music scene to be honest the music scene now is, is was was amazing when i was growing up and it really kind of um you know from quite a young age i was i was like heavily immersed in in the music scene now I, I played drums from like seven years old and by like 13 i was like gigging in at like pubs around oh, Brighton. No and and I was at quite a good level of, of drumming. Uh, I was in like three three or four bands, and that was kind of like where I saw my life going was 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 uh, through music really. Um, and um, what kind of music? Well, I was into all sorts, but I was I was um, you know I've I've always been into all sorts of music. But at that time, I was I was you know I was in I was in a school jazz band. I was in a, I was in a punk band, and then I was in like an electronic band, like with some with samplers and things like that. You know, we were trying things out. It was when it was when the whole like big beat kind of scene was blowing up in Brighton. So like um, Skint Records and Midfield General and um, Fatboy Slim and all that. When Fatboy Slim was doing the more big beat stuff and um they used to do a night called big beat boutique which we used to love and um so we were sort of doing some some sort of music like that and then um and then i was also in like an indie band as well like it was quite like oasis vibes which i wasn't as keen on but like they they we were they were the ones that i was doing the most gigs with actually um and uh and yeah, and then and then um, and then I got and then so then I got quite into like hip hop and got some turntables and you know sort of doing all, all, all that sort of thing. And I've probably got to about seventeen, mm-hmm. um, and I saw I saw myself getting into like music production as like maybe a, a, a career path. So then I then I um, did music technology when I finished uh, uni. But I think about there was about thirty of us who started the course. Um, and I think only like two or three people finished it. Like it was. Why? Is, why so much drop off? Well, am I allowed to? So you want it? There's quite a lot of uh, marijuana smoking going uh, on. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we were young yeah. and like it was basically lunch times. Like uh, I think you know not not taking the not taking the course seriously enough. Yeah. And. Um, and uh, yeah, so so everyone just kind of flunked. Everyone, <laughs> two people, <finished laughs> yeah, two people finished out of thirty. <laughs> and one of them, one of them actually is one of my best mates. He's he he runs a a, a, um, a audio post production company in Brighton now, really successful. One of the oh, few, sick. one of the few really good ones. Yeah, called. Do you cool. collaborate with him now? Yeah, I do. They're called Brown Bear, and uh, I do collaborate with him. He's he's done he's done we've done a few bits together, um, and they're 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 actually. Um, smashing it because they they his 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 specialism is is remote um audio post so they 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 were like ahead of the game before all this covid thing happened and it was like well we're all set up for that so people can he gets people like um zooming in from la to do like um vo's because there are a lot of actors and things like that live in brighton so mm-hmm. they, he does a lot of vo work and things like that so yeah he's had he's had like keith sutherland come through and like Sick. all sorts of people but anyway he was one of the few that finished the course um and i um i'd sort of like yeah didn't know what to do um i went off traveling for six months i got some inheritance money and uh just spent it all <laughs> <laughs> and then came back but but I'd, I'd always I'd always had uh, um, a connection to film because my parents are in the biz okay. and uh, my, my, my dad's an actor and my mum was um, was in the West End she was in musicals and that's oh, how they man, met they, they met they met through through the West End actually my, a fun my, house to grow up in yeah yeah so, so <laughs> jazz I, hands and <laughs> yeah 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 exactly uh, a lot of singing um <laughs> And and it's weird. I can't actually sing a note. But both my parents are great. Uh, and um, 
Yeah, so I, so I grew up sort of on on like film sets and things or TV sets and things like that with my dad taking me to to oh, the things man. he was working on. Um, so it was just kind of always there, I guess. Um, and I, I I suppose in the back of my mind, it was either going to be music or or film that I would I would get into. But I just um, you know it's like you want to rebel and do something different to what yeah, your parents no, do. Of um, so I was trying to pursue other things um but then i uh i got a camera for my for my uh, 18th birthday it was like mm. a mini dv tape like a little handy cam mm. um and then i just started like messing around with that you know just doing just silly videos with my mates and stuff um and then I went off travelling, and, and then I came back, and then I went to uni and did set design. I don't know why. My oh, dad, cool. my dad got me into it because he he took me to meet his friend who was a set designer, and he's like, "Oh, I think this would be something that you might want to get into." Because I did, I did really well with um, my DTA level, got an A. To just like enjoy making things, making and designing things yeah. things, yeah, sure. So he was like, "Oh, you want to get into film, but you know, you like making things. So what about set design?" So I did this set design course. Within like a couple of weeks, I was like, "This is <laughs> this is not for me," but I'm having a good time, so okay. I'll just carry on. And I did a year of that in Nottingham. Then I was like, "I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to carry on with this." It was like making like little model sets and things mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, "No, it's, it's too fiddly for me." Um, and then I didn't know what to do, and but but they were trying to. They were trying to keep me in in the system at, at this university, so they were like, "Oh, what other courses do you like to look off?" And I was like, no, "Graphic design, maybe," because I saw it was quite a broad course, and you could do video on the graphic design course and photography and kind of you know uh, all sorts of things. And and so I um, so I just moved on to graphic design. I didn't know anything about graphic design at all. Have any passion for it at all? I was literally the first day there. I just like sat down at this table and started chatting to this guy, and we realised that we were both really into drum and bass and like smoking weed. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he basically just got me through that first year of my course because he he'd been doing you know graphic design for oh, years. So he helped you out. Yeah. Oh, so nice. I, I didn't even know how to use a Mac or anything. And like this was like two. F- thousand two thousand and one and like you know i i'd never used I'd, I'd never really used computers so the first year i was quite hands-on doing like collage and like doing think drawing i was quite i'm good at drawing so i was just doing everything hand-drawn mm-hmm. um and he was just kind of anything that was computer-based he was just doing it for me just helping me through it cheers nick uh <laughs> and uh yeah and then and then i just sort of you know gradually got my head into it a bit more but knew I never really had a passion for it and then the third year I it was it was like a bit of a free-for-all and you could like pursue the area that you like the most so I was just making videos and I had an edit suite there and I was making like little kind of like Carhartt commercials and things like that I just like things that I was interested in nice. um and yeah had a good good little um collection of 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 work at the end of it and then and then um and then I just and then I just had this like um uh kind of i think it was the release of the the director's um dvd series so it was like the spike jones one the jonathan glazer one they um michelle gondry one there was like a whole series of these um these uh, dvd releases of of all the of all the like kind of iconic directors of the time and it just really sparked something for me and i was like i want to get into into directing uh, uh, directing um music videos mm-hmm. um but uh, then I went back to Brighton. It's been a, it's been quite a long journey for me getting into it. I was just I, I dilly dallied a lot. There's uh, a lot of things. What was your first music video you shot? Uh, it was um, with a friend of mine, uh, Paul, and we shot um, a video for Doctor Syntax, the rapper, uh, the UK hip hop rapper, and, and um, it was um, I can't even remember what the song was called to be honest. Um, and we the shot premise or it was it was shot it was shot in. Um, <coughs> In the tunnels of New Haven Fort, and basically we dressed him up like a, like an army cadet. He, that's it. he came we, we, he came away from that video like very grateful to us that we'd made it for him. But at the same time, he's like he made me look like an army cadet. <laughs> like we didn't mean to, yeah. We, it, he did kind of yeah. The styling wasn't wasn't on point, but 
Um, is he supposed to look like a cadet? No, he's he supposed to look, to look like, like, like a military like guy with like camo on and stuff, but he just looked like a bit of bit of pleb. Um, <laughs> well, he didn't, but you know, he he. Uh, yeah, he he. It was not. It was it was it was again. It was a learning curve um, of for for all of us, and um, I think it was all right to be honest. We shot it on a Canon XL one. Um, I just I was just I you know I was just making it up as I went along. Like I never I've never had any formal training in any of this stuff. It's literally mm-hmm. just been been learning as I go and like asking questions. And also you know I'm going to show my age now. Like there wasn't really the social media uh and youtube um yeah. um like present outlets. present outlets yeah. that, that, that there are now like like i look so you're at, more just making it for the love you're making it for yourself to yeah, show yeah. your friends family exactly yeah yeah and and you know now like all these youngsters they've just got this like wealth of information on youtube like anything that they want to learn about a camera a lens uh lighting technique you know you can just go on youtube and find out about it whereas whereas we didn't have that and i know i didn't go to film school so i was literally just trying to it's one thing you didn't study mate yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so 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 i was literally just trying to get as much much um, experience as i could Mm. um wherever i could you know just doing projects um, with whoever whoever wanted to do them with me, um, and yeah, and then I bought a, 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 a Sony Z1 camera. Um, did a did a, a a shady deal with some guy in, in in by London Bridge. Still to this day, don't know whether he went to London Film School or not. But he had a London Film School top on. But yeah, <laughs> I paid him a thousand pound cash for this camera. Um, oh, definitely what he puts on when he's yeah, just selling yeah, yeah. stuff on equipment. He looked, he seemed, he seemed legit, but yeah, I don't know. I think he was thousand pound cash under London Bridge. Yeah, you met in this pub. And I was like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so and then I had a camera to, to then you know that opened up like a whole world to me because mm. I had an, at, at that time a fairly a fairly decent camera like kind of a go-to like like low-end um, professional film camera so yes yeah, so then I just started yeah carrying on with making little music videos and shot a few weddings it was yeah I, I did I did two weddings and uh, I was like no no thanks it's um, hard work isn't it I, I, I get roped into them sometimes for like mates yeah and it's like well, it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. Like, if they're sort of... Well, it's usually mates' families. So they're going to go, and it's like, come along for a piss-up and do some filming. Mm. Like, it's all right, but it can be kind of stressful sometimes because yeah. it's a long day, and if you just got to make sure you kind of nail it because, you know, it's not like you just do it again. Mate, um, it's so stressful. It's probably it's probably to this to this day, like, the the most stressful... <laughs> job yeah. that I've had making a wedding video because you've got like one opportunity to capture those moments yeah. and then if you don't which happened I think on the second one I did you know I didn't I was like oh this speech is a bit boring I'll just turn it off for this one <laughs> <laughs> like, where's where's my where's my dad's speech oh, uh, is I, that who that was I didn't, I, I didn't record it because it was, it was just a bit long <laughs> well, I, record, I think I recorded some of it and then turned it off I, was like, I didn't think he wanted the whole thing in the uh, the, the, the video, Ooh. but um, yeah, yeah, that was. I had, uh, I had a um, a battery run out. All my batteries run out during the speeches once. I was doing it for a friend of mine at work, back when I was at Sky, um, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll give you like three hundred quid to do a wedding video." I was like, "Yeah, okay." I was only like twenty. Uh, and I had these new batteries that I got on Amazon <laughs> for my Canon five D. And I didn't charge them up the night before. I thought like, I put them in, and it was full power. So I was like, "Oh, nice, ready to go." And then halfway through the speeches, one died, two died, three died. And by the end, I was just standing at the back of the sort of tent thing, just with the camera against my chest because it wasn't on, pretending to film. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! That is so it bad. was so bad. And like some people there were in the industry, obviously, because so I'm working at Sky. And they're like looking at me standing about 30 meters away from the guy giving the speech. And I just had a top mic on and they were like, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I wonder if he's picking up the audio from there. God. I could see them looking at me and I was just fucking yeah. sweating. 
yeah, not, yeah. My, not my finest moment. That is awful. God, the anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it is very yeah. um, So what was your like, sort of early career coming in? You, so you had some cool like music videos and stuff. Yeah. How so, did you progress from there? Like, how, and how did you grow as a director? Um, so my first job in actual job in the industry was uh, Academy Films, and I kind of started. It was a it was a runner's role, and I started quite late on. Actually, I was, I was sort of twenty six, turning. 27 um uh but it was a very like involved runner's role where we were like you know doing mood reels and like helping the directors with their treatments and doing research and things like that so it was a, it was a year it was a real baptism of fire because academy you know they they expect a lot from you and it was it was tough but but I got a lot out of it and I was and I was on a lot of shoots I did a lot over that year I did I did a lot of shoots so it was yeah as I say it was a baptism of fire and I, and I, and I learned so much and really got stuck in you know and it was a great place to learn um and a great place to be given opportunities that a lot of the other production companies you know wouldn't wouldn't have given you um most of them were you know if you were a runner you were basically just running showreels around soho and things like that so i'm i'm, I'm grateful to 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 them for that for that opportunity because you know still i still uh i've got some good relationships with with some of the people there and um they they um yeah they 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 taught me a lot it was it was tough it was long days and and as i say like mm. it was it was it was um it was it's old school you know that, that academy films they're old school and obviously they're one of them the most sort of well respected of the production companies in the commercials and music videos world um but yeah we got we had some we had some good it was a good year. It was a really, it was a really good year. But then from that, I, um, I, so who was it? You managed it was, to make quite so, a few so, connections. So, so I, yeah. So, so I, I, a friend, a, a guy who I became very good friends with there, who is a producer. Sadly, he's passed away now. I won't, I won't, I won't name check him. But for those who know, will know who I'm talking about. Um, he, he actually, you know. Um, Helped me with my first route into a proper, proper job mm. at EMI. So he he knew he knew um, a commissioner at EMI, and they were looking for uh, someone in house to make video content at EMI. So he put a word in for me, and then that was helped by um, two directors, Cy and Ad, who are big uh, commercial directors. They previously worked at EMI. So then they put in a word as well, and so I went to this interview, massively blagged it, massively blagged it. Like I just like <laughs> it was like yeah, I can use that camera. Yeah, 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 I can do this. I can do that, and just just like yeah, kind of was it was it quite a ballsy blag or was it just feathering your skills or feathering the skills? Yeah, yeah somewhat. Um, but I mean, at that point, I hadn't done like a huge amount of like shooting and you know it'd been more like I'd, I'd done a lot of editing and um my strengths lay in probably different areas um so um yeah so, so then I didn't hear back for about a month and then suddenly it was um yeah you've got the job um we want you to start like in a couple of weeks and on my first day there uh I thought it would be just, you know, meeting the team and everything, um, just settling in. And induction, I this is the canteen. I arrived and, and um, Jay, my, my boss, who, great guy, uh, who, um, who, 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 who did, who gave me the interview, he, he, um, he, 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 like, organised a shoot with, um, with this band uh, from Canada, I can't remember what their names were, um, but he was like, "Yeah, we're going to go and shoot like some content with them today." Um, anyway, I've rented in uh, some kit. Uh, I don't know how to use it, but but it was some of the kit that you said you know how to use in the interview. <gasps> I was like, "Oh right, yeah, 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 okay, okay." <laughs> and so and so, I was basically just like thrown in at the deep end immediately, and that's and that was kind of that set the tone for for that job. And then I quickly realised that that's what we, they were all the whole team were doing that you know we yeah. were all, they were all making up as they went along and and on every shoot moving forward we just would rent kit in and 
just learn how to use it on the shoot, you know. Or like something it's such a fantastic feeling, like when you do like, sort of blag it a little bit, mm. not necessarily like lie, but as, as we said, feather your skills. Mm. But then it, it does actually come off, and mm. you come away from the day being like, mate, smash that. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a exactly. nice feeling. It's a good, and it's a relief. Yes, you feel like you validate yourself. You're like, right, I can smash this out. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's great that they probably got you straight on a shoot as well. I wonder if that's a little tactic that they kind of have with with newer people, maybe because you do I think. So. to just show up and be like yeah this is the office these are the meeting rooms this is so and so from HR no, yeah. fuck that get him in yeah. like rolling that's exactly what that's exactly what Jay was doing he was he was he was testing me out basically he just yeah. wanted to yeah just and he was a bit of a he was a, he was a bit of a prankster as well I think he just thought it'd be, <laughs> probably thought it'd be funny to just throw me in at the deep end um, but uh, yeah that that was that was four years at EMI working with um, you know like all their artists um, and I've had some really great opportunities to to get an to get an all round sense of filmmaking so you know we we were we were a three uh four-man team eventually um we were the first of the of the big record labels to have an in-house like actual video production uh wing um i think most of them do now uh because it was kind of really at the start of all the youtube content stuff and and yeah, yeah. the kind of realizing the value of that mm-hmm. and and obviously they wanted to save a few quid so having an in-house team who could just churn out all this content was was great for them so so we were like yeah having like our weekly meetings coming up with 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 um content ideas um you know uh writing treatments um shooting ed- lighting editing Mate, directing doing, doing yeah. the whole doing the whole the whole thing but obviously i i with always with uh with a more of a passion for directing so yeah, it was great. Like it was, it was shooting like multicam, like concerts, um, documentaries. I'm, I'm, I used to make, you know, I was making within like six months. I was making like, I don't know if you remember foreplay, like Channel Four's like ten minute long yeah, yeah. format, like documentaries. I was making foreplay documentaries. I did one for Tiny Temper, one for like Emily Sanday. Oh, like, uh, uh, so it was a really, really amazing opportunity. It's like a very rich experience. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and then... Um, what did you do? Like, so coming out, out of there for, after four years, you know, you've got a wide variety of sort of skills that you've managed to sharpen. Yeah. What was, what was the next top phase coming out of there? Well, um... And what made you leave as well? Because I was getting institutionalised, you know, it was yeah. like... Uh, and also, um, uh, EMI was going through a transitional period where they'd been bought out by Universal and then part of it was sold to Warner so our, we were becoming Warner and I was given I was given the opportunity they were they, I was given the opportunity to have like voluntary redundancy and I was like oh it's a good time to, to get out now and I wanted to pursue like my, Four my years directing career well. more yeah, sure. and you know you're only ever going to be the film guy at EMI uh, if you stay you know within this within that mm-hmm. um, within those walls so um yeah so so then I I uh, I took the leap and and uh went freelance and it and it just it 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 kicked off like pretty quickly um like you know I was getting some good jobs in straight away which I was really surprised about um I thought it'd be a lot slower um I think my first freelance job was uh uh I did I did a campaign film for Sweaty Betty <laughs> which was which was quite funny actually because that that again came came through it came through one of my one of the A um, and R guys at, at at EMI. Uh, he'd put his now wife like was working for Sweaty Betty, and he put my name forward to her because they were looking for for uh, someone to make their their video content uh, to direct their campaign films, and so. When I turned up to meet her, she thought I was she she thought I was called Louise. She thought I was going to be a woman. <laughs> I don't know how because my name's Louis Ellison, so she'd taken the E from the Ellison, and she and she so there was a bit of bit of shock. Like when I turned up, and she was like, I and she didn't tell me at the time. Are you but Louise Lesson. We just got we just got on so well, and we had we had this meeting oh, uh, nice. that she was like, yeah, great, let's let's get you in to do to do these films. Um, and, uh, and then it was only later on she was like, "Oh, we're actually looking for like a female because we, you know, we're quite like 
yeah female orientated brand yeah, female sure. brand and but we just got on so well that you know i thought you were a great fit for us and so i ended up working with them for a couple of years doing all their uh film content and it was great It brings us nicely onto our sort of next section, which is your sort of biggest opportunity, mm. which you put down the sort of Moody Man documentary. Talk to me a little bit. How did that come about? I mean, are you always a big fan of Moody Man? I assume you are. It, I'd say biggest opportunity because um, I don't think it was my biggest career opportunity as far as like elevating me to mm. to the next level. But it was it was um, it was um, the standout. Uh, uh, moment in that I'm a massive Moody Man fan yeah and and to be granted that access to him who you know he's he's known for being quite um quite aloof, aloof, yeah. aloof uh was just incredible and and also to be able to go to Detroit which I think like if I'm talking about like um like what what um you know what I love most about my job is to, is 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 being is being able to go and s- to places that I would never normally choose to go and um and see it in a way that that other people don't get to see it you know see it from from a local person's perspective yeah, it's natural and, state and yeah, it's, it's real na- yeah, so, yeah yeah and so that's what that's what this Detroit trip was and you know it was, it was so it was such a different place to what I what what I thought it was going to be, and and you know the preconceptions that people have of of Detroit, and it is it is sad how how you know that that city's been neglected um, so much, you know, and what it's meant to be a you know well, very it's wealthy, a lot worse over the last few years, isn't it? It's yeah, kind God. of been just va- yeah. vacated by yeah, a lot yeah. of the business. It, and... it was it was I can't I'm I'm, I'm I don't know what. I can't remember the exact. I think it went from like five million or. Something to like six hundred and fifty thousand people, like maybe less. Sorry if I got that wrong, but it was a lot. And, That's crazy. And uh, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's a weird city because it's all like deserted. And you know, and for and from a filmmaker's perspective, it's it's great because it's like all these cool buildings everywhere. Yeah, and, like, yeah. It's a great place to shoot. One giant location. What were your sort of? How are you expecting to? What were you expecting from Detroit, and how was it different in your sort of in your experience? Uh, I was expecting it to be um, a un, have a slightly unwelcoming atmosphere and a slightly dangerous atmosphere, I guess. And it was the absolute opposite. It was it was very friendly, very welcoming. The people were super warm, super enthused that that we were there because you know I don't think. A lot of people. This this city should be a mecca for um, for anyone who's into techno music or you know into music in general to go and visit because it is it is a it is a world mecca of of different types of music and you know in particular obviously Motown and then techno mm-hmm. and and I don't know why it's not it's not uh, the Berlin of 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 the states which it should be. Um, I, well, I do know why because because uh, you know the 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 government you know the, are not allowing them to have these nighttime venues that they that they should have. Um, but they've got all the infrastructure. They've got all you know. They, they they've, it's got a similar vibe to Detroit to um, Berlin in that that there are all these like amazing empty warehouse spaces and things like that that, that are crying out to be turned into like cool yeah, yeah. clubs and stuff and and and. Um, it could it it's got the potential to be and i think that there are a lot of people kind of trying to drive that that uh that nighttime economy there and and turn it into that kind of you know the berlin of 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 the states cuz yeah it's 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 it should be a, it should be a pilgrimage um destination for mm. for anyone who's into and and people do go there who who are into into techno and they've got their techno museum run by mad mike banks who we met who who was had a profound effect on me actually he was he was an incredible guy such a like warm passionate interesting person um and uh and yeah and then and then and then just i don't know just some of the things that we did uh like for example we got to see moody man's um prince shrine that no one's allowed to see. Apparently, we were the only men he's ever shown it to. He only has ladies in there. 
<laughs> in this in this like shrine. It's this huge room that's dedicated to Prince in his in one of his many houses that he owns. Wow. And it's like every wall has got every release of that he, that he'd ever like written. Um, like all categorised on the walls and guitars and memorabilia, and 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 like apparently he's. I don't know if I believe this, but but um, Kenny uh, said that he's got moody. He's got um, Prince playing twenty four hours a day, three hundred sixty five days a year, and at, and at no point is the same version of a song played. But I think he might have been blagging us for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was that was a that was a just a, a fantastic trip, I think. And you know, there have been a lot of amazing trips. Um, but um, I think opportunity-wise, as far as like doing something, um, like I think the first the first uh, shoot that I did with, that had a decent budget and that that got like good traction was the Naughty Boy trailer, mm-hmm. uh, which I did when I was in house at EMI because that was like they actually gave us like a decent budget and I got a full team and a really good DP and and you know that was the first time we made something look like looked like yeah, a sure. bit more polished um so that one i still got on my reel because i think that kind of represents my my sort of style quite quite well as well it was kind of quite yeah atmospheric we'll drift uh seamlessly over towards your biggest <laughs> clanger um <laughs> so yeah when have things uh, when have things gone really tipped up? I mean, on your notes, so we got deleted scenes on a prodigy video. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's another one, Cambodia waterfall, which sounds pretty. Oh d- no, dangerous. Clum- uh, Columbia waterfall. Columbia, sorry. That wasn't a, that wasn't a clang. It was just okay. it was a kind of a clanger. Yeah, but they're both yeah they're both quite. Well, let's sort of but, start with the deleted scenes, maybe. Yeah. So um, I'd say the first <laughs> sort of clanger. Uh, I ever had was when I was a runner at Academy Films and it was on a Prodigy video. I was um, given the task of of doing the data capture in the dip basically yep. and it was when it was to be honest it was early days of the transition from film so when I started everything was being shot on film still 35 uh, and then halfway through that year there was this transitional period over to digital um, so it was it was um, you know a learning curve for everyone I think it was it was um, it was pre um, like dipped person on set and so I was the runner on set and also given the the task of of doing the data capturing and i don't know how but it was to be honest i'm going to digress for a second because i'll tell you what had happened it was a it was a really stressful shoot so we were shooting in a pub in hackney and i'm not going to name the pub um but, <laughs> but the guy who who owned it uh turned out to be an alcoholic and um, he'd been out on a sesh all day and um, when he returned I don't think he realised how big this production was and he just went berserk he was like "What? what there's so many people here look at my pub there are lights everywhere and so him and his like like under manager started trying to move lights and move things outside what? yeah so so, so then it's then this sort of like sort of standoff uh, start happened um, and uh, it kind of threw everyone really because this guy he was, he was out of his mind you know and, and we were meant to be shooting the next day so we, we they, they paid to, to, to leave all the all, all the, the lights and everything in, in the pub overnight mm. um, and so there was a lot of back and forth and um it was it was it was it was it was horrendous but but because of that because of the confusion i mean i'm blaming on that um you know i was doing the date capturing and i copied the same card twice um and basically like what 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 transpired was we deleted a a scene from this prodigy video (laughs) so not not even like a few clips no no it it was a scene um and uh, the next day, they just had to reshoot the scene. So it wasn't it wasn't in the world. And oh, to be honest, okay. they couldn't they couldn't get that annoyed with me because 
you know, I shouldn't have really been doing that job anyway. And it kind of sounds like they had enough on their plate. Yeah, <laughs> dealing yeah, yeah. with this nutter. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, and then, and then, all through the night that night, because I lived down the road, I had to like drive back like every few hours because I had a car to check whether he'd put the kit outside on the street. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Um, I mean, the first of a few incidents like that over my career, but I think, I think. Uh, not so much a clangor, but a bad decision uh, would probably be. Um, so I was shooting um, some some short films for Nespresso in Colombia, and we were in a really remote part of Colombia. Uh, it was like up in the mountains, so you know, coffee growing region. Um, but this little town it was staying in was incredible. It was like super, like authentic. Colombian people, everyone sort of riding horses and like salsa music coming out of all the bars and everything. It was it was it was, it was a really great experience, but we um, we quick, quickly learned that a few years previously this town had been taken over by paramilitaries, and um, so the woman who who was making our breakfast for us every morning and stuff transpired that her husband had been killed, like executed. This Whoa. paramilitary group rolled into town, like just killed loads of people and like just taken over and extorted them for like three weeks and then and then the military came in and like got rid of them. So we were like, oh look, that's pretty uh, interesting. Like which <laughs> uh, kind of puts a little on edge. Um but at the same time they're like, no no it's safe now and it, it did feel it did feel safe. Um but uh, so we'd, 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 we'd gone for dinner and, and we were making a plan for the following day where we were going to go, what we were going to shoot and we made four films while we were there one of the four was about uh, this fish this, this, this coffee farm because it was basically the, the premise was, was um, that Nespresso built the, this mill that was, that was um, benefiting the local um, coffee Growers, because it meant that it freed up more time for them to do other, to pursue their other passions, because they didn't have to travel as far to like yeah, sell yeah. their beans and clean their beans and everything, because they had this mill right there. So these stories were about like how the mill had helped them in their lives and and how they could pursue their other passions. So one of the films was about a fisherman and his son, uh, and the journalist who had been out there for a number of weeks before we got there um, had got to know the local community quite well he'd been finding the stories for us um and he'd he'd been told that there was this incredible waterfall um but it was about four hour drive off road through the jungle to get there and so we were weighing up like how how uh important this shot would be to the film to get and whether or not it was worth it um he was pushing for it quite heavily i was like it would be cool to go to a waterfall, yeah. Get get a nice shot of of this father and son walking across the front of this waterfall. Mm-hmm. But so we jumped in in these like um, jeeps, um, and you know they were like not very comfortable, kind of just long benches and uh, open open sided. Getting thrown about. Yeah, getting thrown about, and we were off road, and it was it was it was it was knackering. Had loads of camera kit and everything, and it was it was pissing it down with rain as well and we were like getting deeper and deeper into the jungle and and we all started to get a little bit worried you know we were like this is this is actually i think we've bitten off a little more than we can chew here this is this is actually quite quite dangerous um and then about three hours into this journey we were like really deep into the jungle at this point we got stopped by these guys uh, who had like military fatigues on, and um, they were just chatting in 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 Spanish to to some of the um, the, the the Colombian crew that we were with, and there was just like a sort of feeling of like I guess panic uh, and fear, uh, and obviously I, I didn't know what they were saying, but my, my um, Jose. Um, my business partner who I work with a lot he he um he he's he speaks spanish and he was you know try, he he did he 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 was chatting to them a little bit as well but he he didn't he wasn't saying anything to me so I was kind of in, a little bit in the dark um and then they let us go and I was like 
what was that? And they were they were paramilitaries. They were like checking us out, checking us over. Ooh. And it was like one of those moments that could have gone pretty sour. Uh, but we were okay, and they were like, "Yeah, they were just they were just curious what we were doing. They they kind of this is their area. We've just come into, you know, it could have been it could have been no one bad, mentioned but it was the waterfall was in the military yeah, 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 occupied yeah, yeah. area, and uh, yeah, and then we got to the waterfall, and it was <laughs> it was so dangerous. That was an experience, but the whole that whole trip was 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 um was a was a bit was a intense it was like eight days making four films and with very little sleep it was a very very intense um you do come away with those projects with quite a lot though just even learning about yourself sometimes and like yeah. what you can sort of like where your sort of capabilities start to diminish if you're too tired or have to try and look after yourself or mm. like trying to weigh up decisions what seems like a good idea at the time how it can sometimes backfire i mean yeah. I, I do find that on on longer jobs, especially international ones, because you are out of your comfort zone yeah. by a yeah, fair yeah. few thousand miles. Yeah, it's a good. It's it's a. It's, it's, I think I love I love pushing myself like whatever I do. Like if you don't, if it feels easy, then it shouldn't. I just shouldn't mm. be doing it. <laughs> yeah. But um. Yeah. Yeah. That's that was that was a that was a tough one. But yeah, I've done. I mean, I've, I've, I've a lot of my shoots are abroad, so I I'm used to. And I'm not. I'm not one for sleeping on planes either. So I'm used to like, you know, arriving without having had any sleep and rolling straight into a recce or you know straight into a shoot. And you just you just get on with it. And adrenaline kicks in and it's 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 fine. Any advice for people uh, maybe looking to you know uh, get into directing um, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you know maybe you know using your personal experience as well maybe some people have put off the fact that they haven't studied it formally officially um but you know you haven't you've you've studied a lot of creative things for sure which maybe help create the patchwork of of your sort of creative abilities now but you know what would your advice be to someone who is maybe looking to start you know getting into it is is a formal education in directing a must or you know is it not you know how how do you feel about stuff um i think um it's it's it's, it's uh, getting experience is is the uh, is the is the key. You know, I don't think formal education is necessarily essential, um, especially now that there's this kind of wealth of information out there that, that you know you can just tap up like on YouTube and things like that. You know, as I said before, like, I didn't have any of that when I was when I was starting out. I just I just had to like ask questions and get experience, but. Um, yeah, it's just 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 make stuff basically. Just just um, you know, just just form relationships. Like I think that's that's key. Like and I think through like Instagram and things like that now, it's that that's become a lot easier to do. To like, to, if you if you're if you if you wanted to get into directing, you know, just like look for who are the the new sort of. Uh, DPs getting into the industry, the younger ones who are wanting to work on like fun projects with small budgets or limited limited resources, um, and yeah, build some re build relationships with them because that, that's that's what I did when I started out, and I'm still working with those people now. You know, I'm still working with the same DPs that I was working with at the beginning, same colorists, same editors, um, same producers, things like that. It's 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 really important. I think that that one of the most important things is is because it's fun to work with people that you know as well mm. your mates you know that 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 to me is like the, one of the funnest parts is 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 working with people that you like working with um and then you get gonna get better products at the end of it um and then i think to i think to always push yourself as well as i said just now like i never I try not to feel if you feel too comfortable then then you then I think it's not right like always try something new on a on a, on a shoot you know if if you've got a, limit, a limited budget you want to get something out of it so think of a, a cool like camera technique or something that you can try out that's different and new um that's something I always try and do like you know try try something that no one else has done. I think, you know, it's good to it's good to um, we by the nature of us as human beings, we can't help but like 
be influenced by th- other things that we see and like obviously mm-hmm. I I'm always watching other directors work and um I'm never discouraged by it I'm always like I'm always inspired by it you know I'm always I, I I'm always um uh looking at, at what's what what you know there's there's there are a few directors to, that I love and I'm always looking at what they're doing next and but I, but I'd never copy what they're doing you know I but I, but I'm inspired by it and I and I think you you're allowed to take little you know aspects from different places as long as you can make it your own but I think there are a lot of people out there who are just kind of there's a lot of there's a lot of work that looks very samey at the moment and a lot of people that are kind of copying each other's styles a little bit and yeah it can't be helped at times um but yeah just try and try and try and find your own your own voice uh i think it helps as a director to have a, a, a it's annoying to say it but like to have a niche and have a go to kind of um kind of style that, mm. that people can a little signature signature sort of, yeah, yeah that people can call upon so yeah it's def- definitely good to like find your own voice um i think um i think it, it i think that's that's something as well that that uh that when i was starting out directors um didn't have and that was experience in other areas of the industry so a lot of the big I was working with you know big name directors like John Glazer Walter Stern but they never they never edited or touched the camera you know and I think that really helps to play in play into your directing is to know how how to construct an edit or how to or you know how to shoot and how to light I'm not saying that like, you need to master those things, but it's it's good to have a have a level of understanding, um, and I think that makes your relationship. That's made my relationships with DPs um, really great because I can shoot and I do understand about lighting and 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 you know and lenses and things like that, and so you know it's it's just it 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 just helps um, to get a better end product. I think, and you're not so reliant on. On everyone else, you can. Yeah, it's it's um, it's. I'd I'd say I think most of the young, younger directors now coming up are are probably in that in that world of you know they can edit and they can use a camera, so I think things are changing now. But but when I was coming up, that that wasn't that wasn't so much the case, and I and I was always you know thinking. I want to know about everything. I want to know nice. about how to do all of it. Um, always knowing that I wanted to direct, but but knowing that it helps to have an understanding of all the other aspects oh, yeah. as well. I think well. That, that knowledge is invaluable. Yeah. Because you're never going to ask someone to do something impossible. Um, one question for you would be, do you wish you got into film and directing and, and like, you know, moving image earlier? Instead of studying the things that you studied, do you wish that you'd maybe started a bit sooner on on the path you're on now or um i i think it's uh i i had in the past i did but now now i look back on it i think it's all it's all part of you know the journey and and i and i don't regret any of it to be honest because it's all played into what i'm doing now everything else that i've done has played into in some way what i do now and um no, I think it. I think I got into it at the right time because, you know, I was, I was, I was just, I wasn't responsible enough, like you know, to, and mature enough really. Uh, when I was younger, like I look at some of these like twenty-five-year-olds now, and they're just like, they're just, um, they're just so focused, and 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 I guess you know it's very competitive now, so you have to you have to get your head down, and you have to fo- to really focus. Um, but when I was 25, I was just messing around, you know, and I was having fun. And you know, I don't, I don't regret like that at all because um, I'm happy with with where I am now. Um, and yeah, I'm happy with the journey that I've been on. It's been it's been pretty fun. And yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Well, mate, thank you so much for uh, jumping on the podcast. Um, it's nice to have a chat. Uh, I'll hopefully get you on again soon as well. Um, once we've 
sort of get get some more more jobs on the go uh, with us here at Family. I mean, it sounds like you're 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 definitely busy, uh, which is great to hear. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. been really fun. Cheers, Max. Nice one. <laughs> Cheers, Louis. All right, catch you next time. That is all we have time for this week on the podcast, guys. But please subscribe to ensure you catch all of our future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at family and friends. That's F-M-L-Y and friends, all one word. For news on our new community hub. And please also check out our main page at Family Creative. That's on Instagram. Or our main website, family-creative.com. We'll catch you next time.